The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we'll be reading the verses 1 to 17, after which we'll follow that up with a reading from the Gospel of Mark. Mark 1, verses 29 to 31. And this will be in the context of our response of thankfulness, which we will be looking at in Lord's Day 32 of our Heidelberg Catechism. Romans 8, the verses 1 to 17 will be our first reading. Now the context of this chapter is found within the book of, uh, within the book of Romans, in which the Apostle Paul begins by speaking about the fallen nature of man and how man of himself understands what is written on his heart, the law that's written on his heart, and there is a natural bent towards evil within him. And he moves on, and in Romans chapter 7 here, he speaks about the law and how we can't be righteous by obeying the law. And he says, all the law can do is convict me. And then he finishes that off in Romans 7 by saying, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he points us to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the only one through whom we can stand. And so we come to chapter 8 and we read here, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if the Spirit of Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Let's now turn together to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We'll be reading the verses 29 to 31. Jesus Christ has just been preaching in and around Galilee, most recently being in Capernaum in a synagogue. And now we reach verse 29 in Mark chapter 1. We read there, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. So far the word of God. We'll now together look at the third part of the Heidelberg Catechism, the first Lord's Day and the third part of the Heidelberg Catechism on our thankfulness. And you'll be able to find that on page 548 of your book of praise, Lord's Day 32. We see here a similar theme of having been delivered from our misery. Romans 7, if you remember, uh, talked about the uh, fact that we fall short if we were to obey God's law, and so we can praise God. Thanks be to God who has given us righteousness through Jesus Christ, his Son. Lord's Day 32, so response to that. And we read here in question and answer 86, since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits, and he may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we were reading from the Gospel of Mark here this afternoon, and we see the healing of Simon's mother-in-law, did you notice her response? Did you notice what she did after she was raised up from her sickbed and restored to full health again? She got up and she served. She served the Lord who had raised her up to full health again. Out of thankfulness for what had been done for her, out of gratefulness, she got up from her sickbed and served him. Is this the attitude that you take in life? Ask yourself this. Why do you do 
good things in life? Why do you serve in life? You go to work, you work hard and you get paid. Why do you do it? Is it for the pay? Is it for the good reputation that you get from doing it? For most of you here today, there's probably more to it than just that. How about when you go out and you volunteer and you spend time in the church helping fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Or when you go downtown Owen Sound and you spend time at the crisis pregnancy center, maybe at the uh, spending time around the homeless people, helping out down there. Why do you help people who have no possible way that they can return the favor to you? There's certainly more to it than making yourself feel good that you help someone. But what is it that motivates you to do it? As we come into the third part of the Heidelberg Catechism, we've come into a new section, a section in which we have the heading, Our Thankfulness. Now, many of you who have learned the Confessions, who have worked your way through the Heidelberg Catechism and who have studied the Heidelberg Catechism may remember how it's broken down into three parts, modeled after the Book of Romans. The first part speaking about our sin and misery. The second part highlighting the need for our dependence on God. And finally, after we are showed how we're rescued from that situation, we are taught how to live in light of that. So in the first place, mankind led by Adam rebelled against God. And he put man into a state of perpetual spiritual war and suffering. By his rebellion, human nature became so corrupt that we all bear the consequences of our sin. We can't help ourselves from this situation because God requires perfection from man. He had created man that he was able to love and follow God in this way and to live in harmony with him, but man, by his deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all of his descendants of these gifts. This is what we see happening in the opening pages of the history of mankind. And this is why we are where we are. Because of our constant sin and rebellion, we face judgment, and rightly so. But as we move on through the Heidelberg Catechism, as we move on through the book of Romans as well, we are reminded that God in his mercy didn't leave us there. Once again, we are pointed to how we are delivered from our sins and misery. We're reminded that in order to rescue us from this terrible situation that we've placed ourselves in, something must be done. But because God is still God, His justice and His mercy can't be pitted against each other. And so He can't just sweep everything under the rug. But He still intervenes. And so a way is made clear. A way in which God's true justice and His limitless mercy can be shown side by side. A way in which God can save a people who do nothing, who can do nothing to save themselves. 
The fact that there is only one way in which we can be saved is then brought to the foreground. Jesus Christ, this true man and true God, is the only person in the history of the universe who could possibly fulfill this role. There is no other way that we can stand before God. And so, as we worked our way through the Heidelberg Catechism, step by step we were taken through the work of our triune God as he, carried, as he worked his way through our salvation history. We saw God the Father and how he was involved with our creation, how he's still involved with upholding the universe and all that's in it. God the Son and our redemption. God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification, our, his ongoing work in making us holy. We see how each member of the Trinity works in perfect unity, perfect harmony, and over the course of all of history, how the triune God draws his chosen people together in time. He works faith in the hearts of his people, and when they believe, as a response to his softening of their hearts, he draws them closer and closer into his embrace, purifying them and making them his own. And so today we're brought to that final stage of our salvation and our redemption. A stage in which we are taught how to live in the new freedom that was bought for us. A freedom that was paid for with Christ's precious blood. And no better place do we find this described than in Romans 12 verse 1 in which the Apostle Paul brings it to a peak, saying, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. But this itself finds its roots in our passage today in Romans 9. Because it's by the mercies of God that we are called to live for him. And this mercy is shown most powerfully through the transforming work of his Holy Spirit day by day in our life. So, let me ask you again, why do you strive to do good in this world? And more than that, why do you do anything good? And this brings us to the theme for our Lord's Day today. Freedom in Christ. Do we live in it? And we'll see, first of all, being made new. Secondly, what happens if thankfulness is absent. And third, responding in thankfulness. Our confession opens with a question that naturally arises from anyone who has heard the shocking message of total grace. They say, since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ, and since this does happen without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good work? Not too many weeks ago, you may remember if you were here how we ran into a very similar question in Romans 6. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? If you were there at that time, or if you're familiar with the progression of Romans 6, you'll see how the answer to that is, in Christ you're made alive again. And really, 
That's been the answer of the Christian church since its earliest days. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. But if you truly do believe, then you recognize the cost that your salvation came at. The cost of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. And that in itself should be enough to shake us up into reconsidering continuing in sin. Paul uses this language. You've died to sin in Christ. How can you live in it any longer? But there's more to it than just that. There's more to it than just being reminded that we've died to sin in Christ. And to help us understand how we can continue to live, let's open up our book of praise for a moment, our confessions. To the Belgian Confession, Article 24. You'll be able to find that on page 508 of your book of praise in your pew. We'll just look at the opening line of Belgian Confession, Article 24, for a moment. We read there, We believe that this true faith, worked in man by the hearing of God's word and by the operation of the Holy Spirit, regenerates him and makes him a new man. It regenerates him and makes him a new man. We read about how Paul says, you've died to sin in Christ. How can you live in it any longer? And we ask, how can we change then? We recognize that we leave it We need to leave our sinful life behind. But how do we move ahead then? And here, it's revealed to us that we move ahead having been made a new person by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have been made a new man. That's what it means to have died to sin. In Christ, you become something completely new. You are transformed from the way that things used to be. One of the pastors in our current sister church in P&G can relate to exactly what this means. This man was a drug dealer of the worst kind before he came to know the Lord. Sins related to that, you name it, I've done it, he said. Drugs, violence, intimidation, and more were the name of his trade. But then he came to know the Lord. And in the Lord, he became something new. His change in behavior wasn't instant. But it inexorably followed his transformation from the old man to the new. When you are a new man, you begin to change. Christ takes your heart. And by the Spirit who works in you, he changes your motivation for your new behavior. Knowing Christ changes your priorities. Knowing Christ changes your love. And that's because the Spirit lives within you. This man, when he had left his village behind, he had left fields of marijuana plants behind. And when he was asked if he was going to do anything with them, or if he was just going to leave all that money to waste, he said, leave it. The money didn't matter to him anymore because he was a new man with a new love. How is it possible 
that he was able to have such a transformed life? How is it possible that he is able to make such a radical transformation with the old man dying in this way? It was because of the power of the Spirit who worked in him, transforming him every day. Do you see this same power at work in your life? Do you see the same radical change of heart that sets your priorities on heavenly things instead of earthly things? Perhaps for you, it's not a question of a change that's quite as radical as his. But you still are able to see it. You still are able to see how your heart moves from one thing to another. You're able to see that in your response. Once again, looking to how Peter's mother-in-law was on death's door and was healed, we see what is her response to her healing. It was to get up and to serve her Lord and his guests. She was perhaps on death's door, but she was given a new lease on life. And so she responded with service and love. Is this your response as well? On being reminded of your salvation once again, is your response to get up and to desire to serve your Lord once more? To glorify Him all the more through your work at school as a Christian school teacher or as a principal? To further His kingdom work through the boards you're on or the committees or volunteer opportunities you're involved with? To praise Him through doing your best at building new homes or selling quality hot tub materials or raising the next generation of kingdom children, carrying out your tasks with a cheerful heart and working as though you're working for the Lord? Wherever you are, whatever you do, you don't need to have a radical change in life to be able to see where your heart lies. Wherever you are, whatever you do, you have the opportunity to praise God, to serve well in His kingdom, and to serve not necessarily because you feel like it, because we all know that our feelings go up and down, but serving because you love Jesus Christ, and you see this as the fruit of the Spirit who is at work within you. It's a beautiful testimony to the world when we see this coming out to the fore, when we see this coming out in full. Do we see this new life arising? And this brings us to our second point, refusing a response of thankfulness. There are situations in which we don't see this rising up. There are situations in which we don't see a response of thankfulness coming to the fore. And then the question arises, well, what about those who simply don't want to live for him? What about those who hang on to their sin or who love their sin more than they love their God? There were some people in the Apostle Paul's day who had decided that living this way was okay. 
Their freedom in Christ allowed them to keep on living this way, they said. And they took this to scandalous extremes. People would embrace the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith, and then you would use it to excuse all kinds of terrible sins, saying, once saved, always saved. I've been baptized. I've walked the aisle. I've made my profession of faith. Jesus knows that I love him because I said it. And for the rest, I feel like I should be able to do whatever I want. But the response of our life and the inclination of our hearts before the Lord our God is evidence of Christ's work in our lives. It's evidence of Christ's work in one's heart. If there is no response, if there's absolute darkness and not a glimmer of wanting to live for Christ unless it's on our own terms, then Christ is not in us. We read this in John 1 verse 6, which says, if we say we have fellowship with him, these are people who say they have fellowship with him, who say they love him and they follow him. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. You say you love him, but nobody is able to tell. It'd be the equivalent of saying that you love your spouse, but nobody's able to tell. Would anybody who looks at you from an outside perspective really believe you? Jesus himself goes even further, saying in John 8, verses 42 to 44, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and I came from God. I have not come from myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. If you are not a child of God and you don't love Christ, you remain under the influence of the devil. In fact, Christ goes as far as to say to these people who called themselves the people of God, the devil is your father. And the desires of your father is the desires that you are following in your life right now. In our passage in Romans 8, these are the people that the Apostle Paul calls carnally minded. That is to say, they have their focus, as their focus, the things of the flesh and the things of the flesh alone. Their minds are set on the things of this earth and they put these things as a higher priority than the things of heaven. By their actions and by the evidence of their unthankful life, they show that they aren't really and truly children of God. So what's the consequence for this? The Bible is pretty clear. Our catechism gives us an almost word-for-word summary of various lists in the Bible, all of which have the same conclusion. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. This is not an exhaustive list. These are just examples. 
And it shows us, it's a warning to us, to those of us who live content in stubborn rebellion, that we are in serious danger. Those who don't want to show their thankfulness, who don't care about showing their thankfulness, but are along for the ride as long as their feathers aren't ruffled, are in very real danger of the wrath of God. Because you're showing that you really aren't a new person in life if this is the fruit that you bear. If you are no more than carnally minded. You don't know or love Christ as much as you say it with your mouth. And this brings us to our third point, responding in thankfulness. Perhaps you're looking in your own life right now and you see echoes of this. Perhaps you're in a dark place right now and you say, I'm struggling. I want to want it, but I keep sliding back. I want to live with a thankful response, but I'm, I'm scared because I feel myself trapped in this cycle. I want to want it. This is already the first step. If you truly do want it, then this is evidence of the work of the Spirit already in your life. No one can truly want to serve the Lord without the work of the Spirit. Without God's intervening grace, we wouldn't even be able to take one step in that direction. Let this be an encouragement to you. Even in the darkest part of your life, if you see this glimmer of light, let it be an encouragement to you. Because God is at work there then. God is there. If you see yourself praying, asking for the Spirit to work in your life, and if you see yourself turning in true repentance time and time again, hating your sin, seeking to put it to death, you are seeing evidence of His work. This is the Spirit of God who is at work in you. This is the Spirit who has brought you from death into life. We read in Romans 8 verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Beloved, if you do see evidence of this, then you need not sink into despair. Even if day after day you do struggle, even if day after day you do find yourself sliding back. Because if the Spirit of Christ is in you and you see the fruit of His work, you know that you belong to Him. Seek to live in the light of the freedom that He has bought for you. Your change in circumstance won't necessarily be instant 
a really immediate and visible change is a gift given to precious few people. You will likely still struggle and you will fight, but you have the Spirit of God living within you and you are not alone. We go further to read in verse 14 of Romans 8. As many are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You are a child of God. You're wanting to live for Christ and you're praying for Him to work in you and to live in you shows this. It gives evidence of this. And as we saw before, if you are truly living a new life in Christ, you are a new creation. You are something new. You belong to Him. Lean on Him each and every day as you move forward. Lean on the confidence of this. Strive to put to death your old nature. To see more and more the evidence of His grace at work within your life. Each and every day, you will be renewed. By the power of His Spirit, you will be renewed. As certainly as it is a fact that you are His child and He is your Father, you will be renewed. Which leads us back to a full circle. If you know all of this, and if you see the Spirit of God at work in your life, leading you to want to love Jesus, what is your response to this? Why do you do what you do? Let your response be one of thankfulness, beloved. Let it be one of joy, one overflowing daily with gratefulness to God for His grace at work within your life. And let this be not just for the sake of your own assurance, although that will be one of the gifts that we are given as we see in the Heidelberg Catechism. Day by day as we see ourselves grow in this, we ourselves gain further assurance of the fact that is already true, that we belong to the Lord our God. But more and more, we'll be able to impact our neighbors for Christ as well. Let our response of thankfulness be one that's readily evident to all. Beloved, Christ is the one who wants this from us, and he is the one who is working it in us. As we daily experience this renewal, let's thank God once again that he provides all that we need in and through Christ. Amen.